0: avoid operating near severe weather and what FAA command center personnel do every day to help keep you flying. From the National Business Aviation Association, this is Flight Plan. I'm Rob Finfrock with your trusted source for business aviation news and information. Thunderstorm season kicked off early this year, and convective activity continues to wreak havoc across the country. In addition to imperiling those on the ground, thunderstorms can also bring large portions of the national airspace system to a halt, as traffic must be routed safely clear of those storms. Weather issues are just one reason why NBAA is privileged to have a presence on the floor of the FAA's Air Traffic Control System Command Center in Warrenton, Virginia. Every day, personnel at the command center work to keep aircraft flying safely across the NAS, and well away from the worst that Mother Nature can bring. To provide some insight on that process, I'm joined today by Chris Setrola, a National Traffic Management Officer for the FAA. Also with me is Brian Waranowskis, a National Aviation Meteorologist with the National Weather Service, and John Kozak, CAM and Program Manager for Weather with NBAA Air Traffic Services. Chris, let's begin with a bit about how the FAA monitors weather conditions throughout the NAS and how
1: often those plans may be updated we monitor the weather conditions all the time, constantly at, at my desk. Specifically, I have uh, weather constantly showing. And then with the, uh, national weather service right next to us, we're able to go back and forth and, uh, you know, kind of collaborate with them at a constant time. We do update our plans, in real time so as things change as the weather changes or as we get reports from the field we'll we'll change those uh, plans pretty quickly and we'll update them to reflect to what we need to uh, do to to fix the NAS and make sure that it's safe and efficient as best as possible we definitely do early development on on all of our plans so you know we'll be looking at things uh, three to four days out and kind of develop a plan starting at that time frame with some of the uh, hurricanes and stuff like that. If we know that's coming, we'll we'll start looking at that. And uh, a lot of it's just collaboration with the National Weather Service, the individual center weather service units that we have, as well as the, the facilities themselves. And this being the FAA and aviation, there's even an acronym for that process, PERTI. What does that stand for, Chris? it's plan, execute, review, train, and then improve. So basically what we're doing is we're a special group of national traffic management officers in conjunction with the National Weather Service, and we'll work together and we'll plan out what do we think is going to happen. Is there going to be uh, ground stops in the South Florida airports because we have thunderstorms cutting off the Florida Peninsula? Are we going to have to do ground delay programs because there's icing or snow in Denver, the weather conditions that we have, and kind of go go through all of the the different options and scenarios and then develop which one's the best option. One of the things we do look at is we're looking at the weather typically three to four days out to kind of start that planning process, but the National Weather Service is really good about kind of keeping us apprised the things that they think is going to be a, a huge impact to the, uh, the NAS, and we'll adjust how the FAA responds to that based on those different weather forecasts. And then we also work with the different airlines and their weather service units, and then also the center weather service units as well to kind of get an idea of what everybody's thinking and then get a general direction of where we're going. The plan part is the easy part the execute part is the day of so we'll we'll start executing that that day and then we'll review in the next day and kind of go over what we could have done better or what we've seen before then we'll train it and improve the process for next time
0: brian as chris said you and the other national aviation meteorologists play a critical role in that process but perhaps backing up a bit what conditions are required for thunderstorms to form
2: Well, most thunderstorms require three uh, key elements, and one is instability, uh, the ability to lift moisture vertically in the atmosphere. You also need some moisture available uh, in order to generate the clouds, which eventually become the thunderstorms. And then importantly, we need what in the weather business we call a trigger mechanism, uh, some sort of frontal boundary, uh, maybe a trough, maybe some sort of disturbance in the upper atmosphere, something that's going to set the atmosphere off, that's going to take those conditions and actually get the convection, get the thunderstorms going. Um, and then uh, the various other conditions will determine how strong those storms are, how how much coverage they're gonna have, how fast they're gonna move, what areas they're gonna move into. A key thing to remember is that the, the thunderstorm development is, is inherently complex, very chaotic, definitely not linear. I mean, it's constantly evolving. The atmosphere runs on multiple scales um, all at the same time, uh, from the size of the world down to the size of smaller than a county. And once thunderstorms develop, they will actually change the environment that they're in. They can add to thunderstorm development. Their outflows can actually kill off thunderstorm development. So all these things are occurring all simultaneously. And that's where the forecaster's job is to to kind of get a, a good read on those. John, we both know what harmful effects these
0: storms can cause with aircraft.
3: Yeah, probably the most recognizable parts of a thunderstorm that that people see a lot are the lightning and hail. Obviously, neither one of those is something that any aviator wants to experience up close and personal if they can avoid it. We've seen hail encounters crush radomes on, on aircraft and destroy the leading edge of the wings. And speaking of lift, the other one major part of that is, you know, microbursts or downdrafts, just that cold air dumping out of a thunderstorm coming down to the ground and then spreading out. That's something that gives you a headwind, then a tailwind. Aviators, that's another one that they just really don't want to have to experience Uh, because more often than not, you're experiencing that on approach to an airport or departure from an airport. And those are two very dangerous times for any aircraft taking off or trying to land.
0: And these effects can extend far beyond the boundaries of the storm, right, John?
3: Yeah, that's absolutely correct. You don't have to be flying anywhere near a storm sometimes to get struck by lightning. The hail can be ejected out the top and travel miles in any direction. And there's just no real good warning for downdrafts, other than seeing the, you know, the rain shaft start to come down or something like that. I worked for an organization years ago that their policy was to stay at least 20 miles wide of any thunderstorm that they could identify.
0: More of our discussion in just a moment. But first, a message from NBAA.
3: NBAA Flight Plan listeners,
0: are you getting recognized for your leadership? NBAA now offers certificates and other credentials in safety, sustainability, and more. Visit NBAA.org to apply today. We're back now with John Kozak, Brian Waronowskis, and Chris Citrolla, and our discussion about the effects that thunderstorms have on the national airspace system. Chris, I understand the command center has different strategies for responding to severe weather. How do you and your teammates use these to help mitigate a storm's impact on flight operations? And in particular, what is the Traffic Flow Management Convective Forecast, or TCF?
1: the TCF is the product that the National Weather Service provides for us that they collaborate with the Center Weather Service units and and a couple other entities. But basically, it shows us where there's going to be medium coverage or higher um, and some sparse coverage as well of thunderstorms. So generally, what we'll do is sparse coverage thunderstorms are kind of the type of thunderstorms that we can still kind of make our way through, but they are... on our radar kind of per se um, for something that we need to like specifically start looking at mitigations for. Um, but medium and anything higher than that is something that the airplanes are just not going to go through. That's not something that they're capable of dealing with and it's just not a safe environment for them. So what we'll do is we'll start looking at root structure packages. That's generally the first thing that the command center will, will start looking at. At the facility levels, they'll start looking at capping and tunneling, which is capping aircraft to a certain altitude level So let's just say uh, flight level two zero zero or they'll tunnel, they'll push all the aircraft into a small area where they can all get through and where you can't really go anywhere else. So they'll start with that. They'll do some mile and trail restrictions to kind of slow down that volume, because, as you know, all the aircraft trying to go into one small area or trying to cap will cause a lot of volume which should cause some safety concerns. So what they'll do is they'll put out mile and trail restrictions. We'll also do ground stops or ground delay programs. That's where you get the edicts or the expect departure clearance times on your airplanes. And basically that's just to kind of slow the problem down so that we don't put too many aircraft into a piece of airspace where they can't really deviate around that weather and it just gets kind of unsafe. So what we'll do is we'll slow the whole problem down. And what we'll do also is we'll put out the route structure, which will generally pull most of the aircraft either north, south, east or west of the main weather and turn it into uh, kind of a highway per se that we can control the volume on going to wherever they need to go to. So we'll use stuff like that. Um, We also have a thing called an airspace flow program that'll provide kind of an imaginary line in the sky that any aircraft that passes that will have a expect departure clearance time. And what we do with that is we're trying to slow the amount of aircraft going into that piece of airspace that's covered by that imaginary line or around it so that we can have enough room for multiple aircraft to deviate around that weather, kind of get around it easily without having to worry about being conflicts for other aircraft. When we do those things, a lot of our decision making process goes from what are the different weather models? What are we expecting? Are they all pretty much in concurrence with each other or are they kind of really far off? Uh, Like I said, we'll collaborate very well with the National Weather Service, the Center Weather Service units, and even the airline uh, weather units um, to kind of develop a plan of what's the best course of action. John, how does NBAA fit into that collaborative
3: process? I want to back up for a second, and I'm just really excited today because having Christopher here, one of our NTMOs, National Traffic Management Officers, who participates in almost every aspect of what goes on in the command center, the Purdy plan, then he facilitates the bi-hourly plan where they're making these adjustments to the plan throughout the entire day. He's been a supervisor for the terminal area, for the severe weather and routes area, which is where they put out the AFPs or the routes, back to the terminals where they do ground stops, ground delay programs, and then also to have Brian along, somebody who helps with that pretty process as well, and then on the day of is somebody who participates in that TCF collaboration that we were talking about earlier, and then feeds the the weather information into the command center. All that to say, our position on the command center floor as guests of the FAA allows us to collaborate, like Chris said, regarding what sorts of things are being implemented, whether it's a ground stop, ground delay program, route structure, airspace flow programs, because AFPs have a significant impact as well as ground delay programs. Anything that takes the business aviation community from on demand, which is what we're all about, Once edicts are issued, all of a sudden we become a scheduled airline at that point because we've been assigned departure times. We advocate for the business aviation community. Um, Like Chris said, they're the 51% vote. So we're not going to get what we want every time. And same goes for the airlines and the international community. And sometimes even the, the airport wants something. And the command center does an absolutely fantastic job of looking at the whole picture and deciding what's going to be necessary. So, <laughs> all that to say that uh, they're going to do things like the AFPs, and sometimes they're going to have different ceilings for these. So it'll run from a floor of somewhere between flight level two zero zero or twenty two thousand feet, uh, and it'll run up to anywhere between forty four and sixty thousand feet. So. On the days when they use the 60,000 feet, unless you've got a U-2, you're, you're not going to fly over the top of that thing. But when it works, sometimes depending on where the weather is, they will lower that ceiling to flight level 440, 450. And that allows some of our you know high flyers to get over the top and gets them out of the program. Also, one of my favorite routes is the, uh, the waters, W-A-T-R-S. Deep water route up and down the east coast. It goes north and south, but it's a fantastic route out option when they're doing the um, AFPs for the Jacksonville area. Sometimes the ARs are the preferred route, route out option. It's much easier to go straight up and down the coast. But if we have an event where weather's going to impact that, or what we're seeing more of these days with the commercial space operations. Uh, There are times when you can't get down the AR routes to the central Florida area. And then, of course, there's the Gulf routes. Uh, The Q&Y routes across the Gulf are a fantastic option for westbound or traffic from the west to get into Florida. We prefer the route options if if it's available. And the, the routes are there to help manage the flows of traffic. The command center is almost like the traffic cops sometimes. You know, you see these people at intersections directing traffic because the light's out or a lane is blocked because of an accident. And so they're managing the traffic at the scene. And that's really what the command center does. They're not concerned about the individual dots on the screen so much as they're trying to manage the flows in a safe and efficient way.
0: And Brian, those traffic cops rely on the TCF in helping formulate that plan. What are the benefits of having a collaborative product and what
2: entities are involved in that process? The main benefit is that they don't get 10 different forecasts. There's an old adage in the meteorology side that if you put 10 forecasters in a room, you're going to get 10 slightly different forecasts. But that, of course, would be untenable, certainly for Chris and the uh, the airspace planners. Uh, on the ops floor at the command center and, and certainly industry reps like John, they need to hear one consistent message. We come up with a consensus type forecast among all the entities. So the prime players in the TCF, uh, the TCF effort is led by the TCF forecast or an actual shift position at the Aviation Weather Center in Kansas City. That's a NOAA agency. And then we have uh, our our team here, the NAM team uh, at the FAA Command Center, and then at each of the ARTCs, there's a smaller version of the NAM team, as it were, the Center Weather Service units. You heard Chris uh, mention that a couple times already, and basically, it's a four-person weather service team that's in the artses, and they're responsible for their individual slice of the national airspace. Whereas here, the NAMs at the command center were responsible for all the slices of the airspace, coast to coast and the offshore areas as well. In addition, we will have the airline representatives, airline um, uh, meteorologists will be on the TCF uh, collaboration. And we also can get some uh, private forecasters, Uh, who are maybe doing some uh, aviation-related elements. They have contracts uh, to provide some aviation support. So we see them pop up as well. Essentially, uh, any of the aviation weather-related entities are welcome on the TCF. Um, They just have to coordinate through the Aviation Weather Center in Kansas City. So they should have a lot of local expertise um, in terms of uh, storm dynamic and movement and evolution. So we rely on that inherently, and we want to see them make comments. Similarly, we want the airlines uh, meteorologists to make comments uh, and draw on the maps, make some changes. But the important thing, and we try and hold all the forecasters to this, and this is actually one of the jobs of the NAMS, uh, like myself, is that we want to see meteorological reasoning when they make changes. We just don't want to see, well, I think it's going to be out of my area at this time, or I think it's going to be medium and not sparse. We want to hear, or see on the screen anyway, uh, what their actual reasoning is. There's more instability here. There's, there's a, the front seems to be stronger. The models are underplaying current convection, whatever the situation may be. Um, We want to hear real meteorological thought put into that. So it's not gut check kind of stuff. Again, because a gut check forecast doesn't help guys like Chris very much. And speaking of your
0: role, Chris, I often check out flight tracking sites to see how flights are being routed around storms. It's really an incredibly intricate and fascinating thing to watch.
1: Well, thank you very much, Rob. I think the whole process really does count on collaboration. So for us, we, we really have to make, like, I have to make the end decision on what, what we're going to do and how we're going to do it. But I take in so much information from not only John and Brian and and all these, uh, you know, other people that I work with, but we try to, our best to do what's best for the system overall and to keep that safety high. And that's the, the real thing of the FAA is, you know, always being safe. Yes, efficiency is in there, but, you know, I don't want you guys, any of the flying public to go through nasty thunderstorms or to to have to deal with any kind of uh, lower safety in the NAS. That's just not going to happen on my watch. It's not going to happen on any of the NTMO's watches. So we do everything in our power to make sure that we're we're being safe, we're collaborating. And what are the additional resources? You know, really being on top of that process of before you go to fly, taking a look at those, those weather products that we're talking about, because that's what I'm basing my decisions off of, and then also talking to your MBA partner there, they're very good at collaborating with us. They know exactly what we're doing uh, because we're, they're there with us on the floor all the time. We might have disagreements on how we go about one thing here or there, but the end result is going to be a good one for the NAS as a whole and for the system as a whole. And talking to them, they have a, a very good idea of what, what we're thinking and why we're thinking and how you guys can get around those storms safely and uh, how, how you can deal with the uh, issues that we're gonna see on that day.
3: The FAA continues to get better at this, the whole managing the national airspace system. Uh, Over the 15 years that I've been there in the command center, I've seen them get more and more tactical with the responses, uh, whether that be routes, airspace flow programs, miles and trail, whatever it is that they're doing to try and manage the system.
0: How would you recommend business aviation operators apply this information, John, from the command center in planning their flights and areas of convective activity?
3: Pre-planning, understanding where the routes are, the current reroutes page is always going to be your best bet for seeing what all the the current routes and some of the route restrictions are on any given day. Looking at the OIS page to see the picture of where that um, airspace flow program, where that line in space that Chris talked about is, to see where the floor and the ceiling is, to see if you can fly under it. If it's a short flight and you're going low, you have to be low for the entire time. So if the floor is 20,000 feet, you're, no part of your flight can be over 20,000 feet. And again, that's to make sure that the different stratus of airspace control levels don't get oversaturated with airplanes. It's just not safe. And there are days, we've seen a few days this year where, Uh, We've just had a line of storms that basically goes across northern or central Florida that just makes it almost impassable, and it hurts. I mean, nobody's happy about that, but, you know, you have to do what you can to keep the environment safe for everybody, and that means slowing the flights down so that there's room to deviate. Other things that you can do to mitigate this is you can look at the products early in the day or the day before, and make decisions about should I go earlier? Maybe I'm going to have to go later. Um, I don't want to go through that line of storms, so I have to be there before they pop. So there's a lot of things that BizAV operators can do, and a lot of it's right there on the computer. You know, the TCF is what the command center uses primarily to make a lot of those routing and airspace flow decisions. And you can view the TCF
0: at aviationweather.gov slash TCF. Note that that product doesn't necessarily show all thunderstorm activity, only where there's high confidence for sparse convective activity and greater, which goes back to that classic truism that predicting the weather is as much art as it is science. Learn more about these and other weather resources available for business aviation operators at nbaa.org slash weather and visit nbaa.org slash ATS to to find out how NBAA Air Traffic Services works for business aviation every day from the floor of the FAA's Command Center. And that's the latest from the National Business Aviation Association. Remember you can subscribe to all Flight Plan episodes at Apple Podcasts in the App Store, wherever you find your favorite podcasts, including by asking your virtual assistant or connected device, or download them from NBAA.org. I'm Rob Finfrock. Thanks for listening and join us
3: next time for a new episode of Flight Plan.